Hello, and welcome to the Press Pass Podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen of The Big Lead. Today with us, we have Yaron Weitzman from Bleacher Report and the author of a new book called Tanking to the Top, the Philadelphia 76ers and the most audacious process in the history of professional sports. Yaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. And as always, we're just going to get started with how about you, Yaron? Just walk us through your journey from how you first realized you wanted to be in sports media to where you are now as an NBA writer for Bleacher and the author of a book. Sure. Um, so, you know, grow up loving sports. I'm about, I try to, you know, I'm 30. I'm at the age now where actually I forget how old I am. Do you, how old are you? Do you ever hit that? I'm 32, but I always forget the math now. Like I'm like, am I 31, 32? So I'm 30, I'm turning 32. Um, that's about the age uh, bracket. Um, so yeah, love sports growing up. I actually wanted to be like, you know, I read Moneyball and you want to be the GM. Everyone wants to run a team, right? So I go to NYU. I'll kind of fast forward, but I go to NYU and did uh, sports management there. And a couple of years in, I discovered very quickly that I hated all aspects of business. I liked, you know, following <laughs> the games and watching the games more. I knew nothing about money, no interest in it. Um, so it was like, okay, let me figure out something else. Um, so I couldn't transfer because credit wise, but I, um, so I started writing for the school newspaper, which was mostly, I think I was actually doing mostly bad Bill Simmons, you know, imitations, which I think is the case of a lot of people my age, probably coming up around then, right? If you grew up reading the internet and I love, love Bill Simmons, but you know, that's not how we should all be writing. <laughs> um, so I did that. So I ranked the newspaper. Then I kind of, I, after college, well, at one point, this is just funny. At one point I interned for a, uh, I, in, I guess it was my senior year of college. I interned for ESPN Radio in New York. Because mm. um, Stephen A. Smith was there. Part of my part of my duties was to uh, Stephen A. Smith loves cheese doodles. Really? Like he loves cheese doodles. It was very very random. Um, so the ESPN Radio is above Penn Station, and part of my you know if you're an ESPN Radio intern, what does that mean? That means food runs, right? That means like a diet coke for. I think Michael K. He might have did a diet coke. I forget if it was like Greca. Um, and also Stephen A, cheese doodles, right? He needed a bag of cheese doodles every day. He has no idea, like, he doesn't know who I am, didn't know who I was, but he just needed his cheese doodles. Um, and it's not easy to get cheese doodles in Penn Station. Like, that's not like a bag of Lay's. I spent <laughs> a, good part of my in- a good part of my internship, like, looking around Penn Station, trying to find a bag of cheese doodles. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was a funny story. I don't know if that really answers the question. But uh, so anyway, after college, I got a job at the local, you know, I grew up in New Rochelle, which is a suburb of about a half hour north of Manhattan. Um, so I got a job at a local paper in Westchester County covering high school sports. And I know it's a bit of a cliche to kind of talk about the local paper that kind of, you know, helped you get where you are. But for me, that was huge because that was really like where I learned how to report even basic things like, Oh wait, you call coaches and ask for scores and ask them what happened to the game. Um, things like that. That's kind of my graduate school mm-hmm. of journalism. Got, got into it, really enjoyed it. Loved covering it. I covered a lot of girls, high school basketball. Um, I really like, it was cool. I really enjoyed being like an expert in something, being on the beat in something, even though, you know, people would, some people might laugh at that, you know, covering girls, high school basketball when you're, you know, when you're 20, whatever you are, 23, that's not like where, you know, you want to cover the NBA right away, right? You're not thinking about, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to remember the teams. Austin was one of the big teams, um, Austin High School versus New Rochelle. But uh, from there, then I started, you know, you start calling your calling your network. I got a friend of friends who, uh, I'm going to shout out actually, Tsvitorsky, who mm-hmm. now works for, um, well, he worked 
uh, works and, and Mamba, the Mamba Academy. Um, he's, he was an editor at a Slam magazine, friend of a friend, got me, introduced me to him. He got me an internship at Slam. I started working for them a little bit, interning, doing both, left the local paper, did more Slam, freelancing everywhere, you know, pitching everywhere you possibly could. Um, my big break with Bleach Report is I pitched a story, a where are they now on Adam Morrison. Okay. And I spent, uh, I guess, and I'm, I'm rambling here, so I'm sorry, but I spent, I guess, uh, two yep. days with him in Spokane, Washington. Um, this was right after like the whole thing about that. Does he have an apocalypse bunker? Does he not? Um, he kind of showed me his not quite an apocalypse bunker. We went shooting. He took me to a gun range. We went shooting. Um, it was pretty crazy. It was a pretty cool story. Um, it was fun to, yeah, it was fun to be with somebody who was like in who he just got it right. I didn't necessarily agree with him on everything, but he just got what I was there to do. Mm. Um, and he was open to it. Uh, and from there, yeah, so from there, that kind of got me into our Bleach Report, you know, writing more, car started covering the Knicks a little bit, and just, I guess that kind of brings me to where I am now, where I'm basically, I don't need to get into the specific, but I'm basically, you know, full-time MBA writer for them. Yeah, that's great. That's uh, quite a journey. Who would have thought you would have spent so much time of your internship in Penn Station? I bet you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There was uh, the pizza, cheese doodles, getting pizza for Don LaGreca, who's Michael Cage's assistant. Uh, there's some other funny stories from then, but it was good, good times. Yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of the uh, other journalists and media members that I've talked to for this series really harp upon, like they all remember, they a lot of them, most of them even, started like you, where they start with the local paper, they're covering high school sports, and they really harp yeah. upon the value of that experience. And you said that it, that it was a good experience for you as like a graduate school of journalism, right? You really, that, that high school beat sort of helped formulate into the reporting yeah. uh, instincts you have today. You're asking, how did it? Yeah, how did it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, this is my first, my first story. So part of the job was like, you know, you sit in your desk and you take calls at night and, you know, right, just get the scores. One of my first stories, I remember this, like the first one I did for them, um, it was on this hockey team. I don't remember the details, but I remember I interviewed people and it was my first time doing a feature really ever, right? Um, and uh, I ended up, it comes down, I get an email from the people I wrote about it thinking, and I'm thinking they're gonna tell me it's great or whatever. And I think I spelt like four of their names wrong. Like literally, like I had a bunch of things wrong. Um, and it was like, and my editor yelled at me, like if you do this again, this is the fast way out of there. Um, and it was crazy. And I, I just, it wasn't, it was sloppy, but it was more from ignorance, not laziness. I just had no idea like, oh wait, you should double check how to spell somebody's name. Like I just like kind of wrote it. Like it wasn't even on my radar, which shows how much of a beginner I was and how behind I was, right? And why I needed that experience. So even stuff like that, right? Like just triple checking facts. Like just something basic, which sounds dumb, and yeah, we all know that. But just having to learn that—that that was huge. Or you know, going to a game and seeing it, and having to find people, like you know, going up to coaches after and talking to them, or even picking up the phone. Right, that's a big one. Like it sounds weird, but the idea of—it's like a—it can be scary, right? The idea of calling a stranger and telling them you want to ask some questions if they don't expect your call. Um, and I didn't have a choice; I had to do that. And I think, yeah, for sure, that stuff's like I, that stuff informed me taught me every that taught me how to kind of go about doing this job and really set the foundation for the rest of my career for sure and the other interesting thing that stood out to me about your own little journey was um that you spent a lot of time freelancing right and so a lot you know yeah industry recognizes the various downsides of freelancing and the uncertainty that comes with that and all that good stuff but as far as a general from a reporter's standpoint go were there any positives to that freelancing part of your career that you carried into the next stage yeah, uh, well, 
Um, I was going to answer your question before I heard the second part. Now, my answer was going to be that I like the control it gave me, right? So if I think a story is good, you know, sometimes maybe some outlets that you that I might be writing for more regularly or more into, let's say, certain stories about big name guys, right? Even if I think there's a story about someone else um, and you have some more creative control, right? So I have a story idea that like something I know can be good and editor doesn't sign off, um, I can go get that written, go get that place somewhere else, right? Yeah. Um, so I love I love that part of it. In terms of learning, I mean, just not being aggressive, right? Having to look out for yourself. This industry is crazy. Am I allowed to curse on this part? I was going to say, am I allowed to? Can I? Feel free. Feel free. Uh, okay. Well, I was going to say the industry is fucking crazy, right? Like it's crazy. People, even people, you have to look out for yourself. And I don't mean that that people are going to backstab you or anything. Just it's it's cutthroat, and everyone's you know everyone's under a ton of pressure. Just the idea that you know if you can be a good you want to be a good, I'll call employee, and I'll use that word in quotes, right? You want to be a good worker and, you know, hit deadlines and do good work and be respectful, but you also have to look out for yourself a little bit uh, and make sure you're taking care of what's important, doing things that you think work, setting yourself up. That's kind of been a goal of mine always, kind of making sure that um, I'm always trying to look ahead, you know, trying to see, okay, like what's, if I do this, like, it's not just about the immediate paycheck or the immediate byline, but like, what could this do for my career going forward? how could it help me going forward? And I think freelancing is a good way to, or not a good way, but that, freelancing for a while will teach you the need and necessity, how important that is and how to go about doing that. Absolutely. It's a, quite a unique learning experience, I would say. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is. I mean, just, yeah, and being aggressive too, right? Pitching people like, and it's kind of like the reporting thing also, right? Like, you know, I have this app on uh, called Boomerang, um, basically, like if I send you an email, like I can check, the, I can check a box, and like the email will pop back in my inbox if you don't respond within like however many however many days I want. Um, so like I always joke, like if I email PR people for interviews, like I'm not gonna forget. You know, I'll I'll do seven of those. Hey, just following up on this, or hey, just checking in. You know, and I'll do that for like two months straight. You know, sometimes it'll be seven straight emails without <laughs> a response. Um, so I'm not saying I did that with editors or freelancers, but like. I would follow up, right? The idea of you got to be a little aggressive um, and you got to be a little assertive. And I think that, you know, a lot of the skills overlap. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think that's uh, any aspiring young journalist listening to this podcast should probably download Boomerang right now. <laughs> <laughs> so now you are established MBA writer at Bleacher Report, and now you are an author as well. So obviously, you know, the differences between writing a feature story and writing a big old book are quite substantial. But just to start, what was what initially drew you to this topic? Like, what was that first moment where you were thinking about the process era Sixers and thought to yourself, "I don't want to just write a feature story on this. I want it to be something bigger." If there was a particular uh, moment, yeah, no, there was. Me being an idiot is the short answer. But like, it was. Uh, I covered the Sixers for Bleach Report. I guess I'll go a little. So I'm trying to. So I'm always covering the Knicks and NBA for Bleach Report, right? Um, and the Knicks stink. There's nothing there. It's not even stink. Like at least my first year on the beat, they stunk. But there was like that was the Carmelo, Derrick Rose, Phil Jackson. Like there was at least stuff there. Um, afterwards, it's been pretty barren recently, right? Um, and the Philadelphia is pretty close, and the Sixers were the you know rising team. And I figured, okay, let me try to be like Bleacher Report's Sixers guy. I kind of try to again being assertive, right? Trying to assert myself as that. Like that felt like a good career. I'll say pass, that's the wrong phrase. It's just a good, a good lane to try to fill. Um, 
so that was Ben. I'm trying to lose track of the years. I think that was 2017, 2018 season, right? Um, that's when Ben Simmons was a rookie. That was the year they kind of made they made the playoffs. The first year they made the playoffs. So I was around them a little bit during the playoffs, or not a little bit. I was covering them during the playoffs for Bleach Report, and I had done a couple stories during the season, I think. Um, and I forget. I don't remember if it was after, if it was during, but it was at one point during the playoff run. And I had always, you know, like a lot of people grow up writing sports writing um you know you want to write a book that's kind of that was a goal i always had uh again something i wanted to do and something also i thought was a good lane that could be filled and just you know financially this will help me a little bit and just another more career protection um so yes yeah, so i kind of thought oh the process sixers that seems like a good idea and i didn't see anyone else doing it like i didn't see anyone else around who was writing a book so i Knew an agent who connected me to a book agent who said he who happened to be a Sixers fan too. Said he loved the idea. And it was actually like I've heard other stories. This was pretty simple. Like he liked the idea, told me write a proposal. I did that in the summer after the playoffs. Um and he got me a deal. Like I remember he called me in summer league. So let's say, you know, playoffs end in May. By July I had a uh book deal for um, about this. The ironic part about it is me saying that um I didn't see anyone else writing a book on the Sixers. I was very wrong because at that point there were about four people trying to write books on the Sixers. Um, and that became a bit of a headache. Um, so yeah, that's why like it was my thought process about how to do this was kind of faulty, but I guess it worked out in the end. Yeah, I would definitely say so. I'm holding it right now. Um, so obviously, like I said, the differences between writing a column for Bleacher and writing a book are, you know, large. When you were first starting this process, were there any, I don't know, unexpected or unforeseen difficulties you ran into when you were trying to put together something on a much bigger scale than you ever had before? Yeah. Well, so there's sort of two parts, right? It's the organization, just like diving in the organization of it is just crazy. It almost took me, like I tried, I bought a pro, I forget what the program is called. You know, they have all these programs like, or, you know, book or research organiza- organizing programs. I bought one, didn't like it. I made a spreadsheet, didn't like that. It kind of took me a few tries to even figure out how I wanted to organize it. I ended up just going with like Google Doc folders. Um, never that's fails. one. What was that? Never fails, Google Docs. Yeah, exactly, never fails. Well, I think that was part of it, right? It was like, you know, like I didn't, it was, it was so overwhelming in, in any, like the whole idea of writing a book was so overwhelming and difficult like I wanted comfort in how I was going about my organizing and like my notes as funny as that sounds right the idea of like having to learn or having to get comfortable with a new program while doing this new task that seemed like that seemed too much to me mm-hmm. um the other difficulty were the Sixers were paying me ass that's the short way of it like they were not they they were not I'm not even saying helpful that's not even like it's not uh, and I'm not somebody who thinks PR teams like I don't believe in any in my job at all that like anybody owes me anything as a reporter like if you talk to me that's that's like that's not required at all right that's crazy um but and I put this in I'm trying to, yeah this was in the prologue of the book like the Sixers they started calling people reminding them former colleagues reminding them of NDAs um they blocked me like a one player who I had a good relationship with. I'd asked him if I could do an interview for the book at some point. And I was around the team most of last year. Yeah. Um, he said, sure, I'll give you an hour anytime. Came back to him, I don't know, months later. He said, oh, I was told, you know, I'm not allowed to talk to anyone about book stuff. And they're my employer. Um, I can't do anything about that. Um, stuff like that. They were just being very difficult and not very professional with me. And they'll say otherwise only at the very end did they call me in. Like after I sent them 
you know, I give him a bunch of chances. This is now fast forwarding, but I gave him a bunch of chances. Hey, book's being submitted here. Hey, you want to talk off the record? This and that. Mostly ignored, mostly ignored. At the very end, I sent them like 20, a list of 20. I called them negative uh, questions or points that they wanted to respond to. And I was very clear that like that was not the whole book. I just wanted to give them the opportunity. Only then did they suddenly realize, like, it didn't seem that they realized, oh, wait, there's a book coming out that maybe we want to participate <laughs> yeah. in somewhat. Um, so there was a couple off-the-record conversations, um, some, a lot of pushback on things, which mm. I didn't think was fair. Um, yeah, it just wasn't perfect. I didn't think they handled it very well. Their whole they, One of the things they were saying is, like, you know, we have, we keep hearing there are five, one point they told me there are five people writing books on the Sixers. We can't say yes to everybody. Uh, which was never true. Maybe I think maybe some people emailed them saying, "We're trying. I'm interested in writing a book on the Sixers. Would you guys say okay?" But that, I, and I even said this to them. I said that's different than you know somebody saying, "I have a book deal and a book coming out in with on this date." You know, there's two different things. Right. Um, yeah. So that so that was I, I guess that kind of answered your question. That was the greatest difficulty I faced. It was it made it fun in a way. Like there was a challenge that I enjoyed that having to kind of dig and go around them. But it also it was it was not easy, and they they made my life they made my life harder than I thought it would be. Like I thought they would say no at first, and eventually, you know, once they see it's real, once they hear what I'm doing, they would eventually kind of bring me in, and maybe we could talk a little bit, and that never happened. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds uh, like quite an obstacle to deal with, but you certainly got around it. Now there are quite a few chapters in here. Is there any part of this process or any chapter in particular that stands out to you that you remember the most fondly? Most fondly, the whole book. Come on, no. Um, I love the prologue, which is funny thing to say. Like, it's a different voice than the entire book's written in. It's like mm-hmm. this first person about me. Like, basically, like I found out. You know, I was reading Sam Hinkie. I guess for listeners who don't know, Sam Hinkie. Sam Hinkie was the GM, right? The guy who ran this. He resigned with this very strange, um, very strange. I don't want to call it like resignation letter, but like the I joke, the media called it a manifesto. It was like 12 pages. It like had like Abraham Lincoln quotes. Some of it were false. We found out later, um, <laughs> like references to like, you know, I don't know, Jeff Bezos and all the leadership. It, it looked like the kind of thing that like in Silicon Valley, the show, you would see one of like, you would see what's it, one of the, I forget the, uh, TJ Miller, whatever his character's name was, <laughs> right? Like he would, he would submit his, his resignation, like this kind of letter too, right? Um, so in there, he mentions this guy named Tim Urban, and he's like, I forget. He quotes him. I'm gonna forget it a little bit. He quotes him, and he says he's one of today's polymaths. Um, I suggest all of you, meaning like the Sixers owners um, board who live in New York City. He like lives in your. Hinky wrote he lives in your backyard. I suggest you all have coffee with him. You know, it'd be a great thing to do. Yeah. So I reach out to this guy Urban, try to see. Oh, I guess Sam Hinky had coffee with him. Like that'd be cool. Let me. Uh, let me talk to him and see like what they talked about. And I'm talking to Tim Irvin and he's telling me, oh, we never actually had coffee, which I thought was hilarious, right? Cause like, wait, Sam Hinkie's giving advice that, you know, he didn't do. Um, and then he's going through, as I'm on the phone with him, he's going through his emails, like his core, he's reading me his correspondence with Hinky, And like, you know, Hinky wrote to me, I'll be in New York this day. And Irvin writing, oh, it didn't work this day and go back and forth. And then the last thing he goes is, Oh, and then Sam emailed me on this day. It's like, I'll be in New York in a few weeks. I bet I can make it worth your while. And I responded, and then Urban says, and I responded, oh, shit, I didn't respond to anything. I missed this email. And I'm, di- and I'm dying as I'm hearing this. And I use this, so I use this all in my prologue, which I loved, <laughs> which is like a totally different voice than the rest of the book. Um, but just something, I don't know, I just enjoyed that. That was fun. So uh, I don't know, that was great. Um, 
which I think like Joel Embiid, I did some stuff on Joel Embiid's story. I'm proud of that. I got like, he's, he's, I gotta be careful with my word here. He's, uh, he's altered some of the details of his origin story in terms of how he was discovered to make it. I, I don't know. I, I kind of say, I gotta be careful. Cause I say to make it sound more movie like, but that becomes accusatory, which I guess I don't want to say, but like, you know, he makes it seem he's told, um, reporters that like he was like discovered on the street by a scout and that's not really true like there was an uncle who emailed the scout and like I actually got the I got in touch with the uncle and got an email got the original email the uncle sent the scout friend of his so I'm proud of that there's a kind of some the Markel Fultz stuff was tough to that thing you know, that's a tough nut to crack I got a few things there you know the whole book the whole book's amazing man everything every page great Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, sounds like he's a big fan of his own lore. Can't blame him for that. He knows the power of a, of a hero, especially in a city like Philadelphia. Exactly, exactly. So I think this is maybe an unfair question because you just finished the book, but I do enjoy asking it for, for, uh, for prospective authors. Would you do it again? Ah, good question. Uh, yeah, I guess I would. I mean, like, yeah, I would. I mean, I don't know. It's like, what's the right, the phrase, like, I love having written, right? That's like the phrase, right? Like, now, like, I love having finished the book. That was great. Like, now I feel awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, it was tough. Like, we have, my wife and I also gave birth to our second, we have, we have a two and a half year old and a one year old. Um, the one year old was born in the middle of me doing this. Like, it was a, uh, it was a, uh, it was a tough year, right? It was a lot. It was great, exciting, but just a, a lot going on. Um, but yeah, there's something cool, something fun about like diving into a topic really becoming like, you know, you know everything there is about that topic and being an expert in that area, uh, discovering new things, you know, becoming, writing what you hope to be, I don't know, I'll say definitive. Maybe that's the wrong, maybe that's too strong, but just something that people care about and matters, you know? And and I did like, looking back, like, yeah, it'd be nice if I got to speak to Joel Embiid and Brett Brown for five hours on the record, right? But like, there's something fun about the challenge of having to go around things and get things in a different way. So yeah, short answer is yes. Oh, I was impressed by that. <laughs> when I talked to um, <laughs> I talked to Marcus Thompson for this a couple uh, a couple months ago, and he had that big book, okay. State Warriors. And when I asked him that question, he said absolutely not. So I was. Didn't he do a second one? I was like, uh, he did the Curry one. He did the Durant one. He wrote two he books. Curry and the Durant one. I talked to him before the Durant one came out. So I guess maybe it's unfair to. I'll, I'll ask you again after you release another book. Maybe that'll put you guys on more even ground. But yeah well, he can't wait anyway, he said no I need another book come on man <laughs> so that's a great um you know so i get like i'm starting to like think of like ideas that you know i guess i'm saying yes i did it but like i'm i'm thinking about what i would like to do next and like so i want to write a book and there's definitely a hesitation or i should say like i enjoy only working one full-time job as opposed to two right that that part's been nice this year um <laughs> i so, can yeah. imagine that's a little bit easier yeah so you obviously so we're now on to the last part of the interview here. We have just some quick hitter questions. I imagine you spent quite a lot of time in Philadelphia for the writing of this book. What was your favorite spot to eat there? Oh, favorite spot to eat there. Um, well, I'm gonna, okay. So I didn't eat there regularly. I'm saying I didn't eat there regularly is like this place. It's fancy. It's not the right right answer, but there's there's an Israeli restaurant named Zahav there, which is maybe the greatest restaurant. I like. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Um, so that is not a uh, like that's not a you're in Philadelphia want to grab a quick lunch place, but that is like if you go to Philadelphia, like you have to make reservations or you can wait online and maybe get a seat at the bar. But it is absolutely delicious. That is uh, that is my answer. All right, and then who is throughout your career for whichever project? Who's the favorite? Who's your favorite person that you've ever interviewed? 
Ooh, favorite person I ever interviewed. Um, okay, I want to be. Okay, I'll, I'll be annoyed. There's one person I want to say, but I shouldn't because I don't want people to associate things with that. Uh, so I would say Adam Morrison, right? Adam Morrison was my That's favorite. Right. Was my favorite. Um, was my favorite guy ever in terms of because he again he just got it right. Like we, I did his profile with him. Even speaking spoke to him after, and I forget what he, his like line after was kind of like. I didn't necessarily agree with everything, but it was it was it was real or honest, and like I appreciate that. And like I always feel like that's the sweet spot. Like if you're profiling somebody, mm-hmm. you don't want them you don't want them to hate it because I mean, unless it's you know if you're profiling like somebody nefarious, obviously that's different. But if you're doing a profile on this kind of, kind of guy like Morrison, right, you don't want them to hate it. But if they absolutely love it, then you probably didn't hit the right marks either because then, you know, there should be some, they should be a little uncomfortable reading about themselves, right? You shouldn't, you should be exposing or showing something that makes them think a little differently, right? It shouldn't just be, it shouldn't just be taking what they think and spitting it back. Um, and he got that, right? And some players, some players don't, and they will get upset if like the whole thing is not just guys, awesome, guys, awesome, guys, awesome. Um, you know, here's what he thinks. Here's why he's right. And he was not like that, and I appreciated that. Hey, it sounds like quite a guy. What's uh, something about reporting and journalism, something about your job that you feel like other people don't know or don't really understand? Oh, how much? Oh, NBA reporting, so how much time you spend trying to get in to figure out the proper entrance into an NBA arena? That's a good one. <laughs> you know, how to get it. Where's, where's the media entrance? I was tucked behind this corner and gate whatever. How much time you spend standing around? I'm not complaining, but it's stuff to let you know. You'll you'll stand around for two hours to get three minute quote, right? Um, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, I love it. I don't want to feel like I'm complaining, right? Like I do it. Like I rather that than I'm sitting. But it's just there's all these little funny stuff that I always joke. Like, I think any beat I would imagine, right? Most I would say 99% of my experience is NBA reporting, um, but I imagine any beat has its little nuances that like how the sausage gets made stuff that if you're not in it, you just wouldn't know. And it's like, it takes, and you can't even learn it. Like you just have to experience it, you know, how to just in terms of how to actually get things done in that field. Yeah. Finding the entrance in NBA arena. I mean, I never thought about that, but you know, you know, on second thought, I'd imagine it would be actually kind of difficult because you're visiting. No, you know. I'm not even, I've spent so many times, like, you know, you're running late. Oh, the shoot around supposed to end at 10 15. I'm running in, I'm walking in circles. You know, I've circled the arena twice already. How the hell do I get in? Oh, they don't have my credential. How am I going to get in here? Uh, <laughs> so that's it. The answer, though, always is you just walk, not always. The, here's a tip I give is like, that doesn't always work to get into an arena, but in general, you just keep walking until somebody tells you you can't come in, right? Like, don't be like timid. You just keep going. Like if it's past the room, if it's into a locker room, past the closed door, you just keep going until somebody says no. And you'll eventually find your way. Um, what's something about this job that you wish you knew back when you were just starting out covering girls' high school basketball? Ooh, um, that I wish I knew. Um, that's a good question. I always, I don't think it's the right answer. Like I wish I, I well, I was going to say my, I'm, Going back, I always I wish I read more in high school. That's not quite the answer, but I go like sometimes I felt like I was playing catch up on a lot of the uh, you know in terms of just literal writing. Right, sometimes like I don't think it comes as easy for me as some of my peers um, in terms of putting together sentences like nice clean descriptive sentences and having the vocabulary things like that. I don't know if that's your answer, but that's like one of my that's always one of my regrets. The wish I knew part is just yeah, I wish I like I. You kind of, then you, it's okay to keep pitching, right? Like the freelancing thing. It's okay to, it took me a while to learn how to handle the freelancing thing well. I guess that's a good answer, right? 
yeah. like how to go about the pre-reporting and how to properly pitch a story and how it's okay. Like, you know, you don't want, there's a way, you know, ESPN, you can pitch whoever you want, right? ESPN, the magazine is not going to want your story on LeBron James, but <laughs> like you could be 22 and pitch ESPN magazine on your story about what, like, here, one of my first big stories I did was for SB Nation Longform, which, remember that, rest in peace, but like, um, that I did a story, I grew up in New Rochelle, I did a big story, I think it was like 7,000 words, which is probably too long now looking back, but that's whatever. Um, it was on Ray Rice, Ray Rice and New Rochelle, right, the relationship between Ray Rice and New Rochelle. Mm -hmm. um, and like, that was a story that like, not only I could have written, but there are probably only a few writers who have the the familiarity with the area to have done that right in the way I wanted to. And like that got a green, that got green lit. And so like, there's ways, there's ways in the door. Maybe that's, there, there are ways in the door that you can take advantage of if you do the proper work. Yeah. I think that's uh, some great insight for sure. Well, you're on that will conclude the interview. Thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks. And I appreciate it too. Really. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. Be sure to pick up your own copy of his book. It is really interesting and filled with lots of fun tidbits. And obviously, a lot of work went into it. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you next time.